WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Historically, Lake Herring migrated to Michigan and were also stocked in Michigan, being native to areas such as the Appalachian Mountains and the southern Illinois-Missouri region, too. We have people who are researching these lake herrings. One of those people studying lake herring is Grant Brennigan. Grant is a student here at Michigan State University, but I'll let him tell you more about his research. Thanks for joining us today, Grant. Thanks for having me on. Like I was introduced, I am Grant Brennigan. I am a freshman here at Michigan State University. I do research involving the genetic analyses of lake herring in the molecular ecology lab here at Michigan State. And my research looks at the genetic diversity and difference between populations of lake herring in Michigan, as well as the Great Lakes. Nice to meet you, Grant. You said that you're studying the genetic differences between different populations of lake herring. Can you also determine the origin of where those lake herring come from based off of this information? There's definitely ways to assume origins of lake herring based off of certain genetic differences that have been proved to be from different areas um, ancestrally. So there are two different regions that lake herring originally came from, one from the eastern United States, east of the Appalachian Mountains in the Atlantic region, and also a southern region we call the Mississippi region in the Mississippi River, and they migrated north into Michigan as well. So there are some pretty distinct differences genetically between these fish, and their genotypes can really help us determine that. And did their genetics change because of the location that they're living in? Would it also vary across the different lakes in Michigan? Yes, it does. And our results have been pretty compelling in proving that. There's a difference in genetics in Lake Herring based on where they are geographically in Michigan. So there's a lot of similar genetics in similar geographic locations, like near the Detroit region has a lot of specific genetics and as opposed to things near the Upper Peninsula that have different genetics than those of Detroit. So there is a pretty distinct difference between these fish and they all together help the genetic diversity of the species as a whole. When it comes to the concentration of different lake herring populations, where in the Great Lakes region would you usually find them? In the open seas like Lake Huron, Lake Michigan, or in more inland lakes? Lake herring can be found in both conditions. They really thrive in deep and cold water, so the Great Lakes are a great way to do that. They, the Great Lakes have very deep water, especially out in the middle. Um, and they have cold water, but there's also types of lakes that we study called kettle lakes, which are inland lakes, but they're formed by glacial depressions back when glaciers covered North America. As they receded, they created these depressions in the ground and filled up with water. And they are those deep cold water lakes that Lake Herring thrive in as well. Now that's a lot of lakes that you're studying. Are you physically going out there and fishing for these Lake Herring, or do you have someone who's providing these for you? Our lab works very closely with the Michigan Department of Natural Resources. They are a great asset for us to go out and collect these fish from all these different lakes and from the Great Lakes at different locations. Our lab works with genetic analyses of a bunch of different species, all of which are collected by the Michigan Department of Natural Resources, and they commission us to do some of the genetic work and genetic analyses on these fish. So they are the ones that go out and collect them and we get little samples of these fish's fins after they trim them and send them in envelopes to our lab to analyze genetically. 
This kind of brings me back to the question I asked earlier about whether or not you're able to determine the origin of where these like herring come from. In my earlier question, I was suggesting whether you're able to determine whether they migrated from a specific location like the Appalachians, for example. But now I'm more curious about the concentration of fish that you're collecting for your genetic studies. Are you getting your fish samples from the Kettle Lakes that you had described earlier or from the Great Lakes or a little mix of both? The entire study has been going on for a couple of years now. The lakes that I studied, particularly for my project, are all Kettle Lakes here inland in Michigan. But the previous locations have been all over Michigan, as well as some Great Lakes samples. So they all got meshed together at the end once my work on the Kettle Lakes was done to compare all of that between each other. So it, it was really trying to figure out how in every body of water that herring can be found in Michigan as a sample, what the genetic diversity of the species is in Michigan to just really get a status and a feel for how many are left, how stable they are, and what we can do about them to sustain them for the future. That's a lot of data that you would have to collect and analyze. Are you the one who's doing those genetic analyses, or are you doing the data analysis and collection? As part of my project, I did a little bit of both. I got those envelopes with the fins in them and extracted the DNA from them for analyses, but also once those were done, computer programs helped us a lot to kind of just map out where all these different genetic populations are. So it's a little bit of both in the, as part of the project, and it's been a project that's been worked on for years now, really, and my work has been a continuation onto it. So it, it is a long-term process, but overall it gives us a good view of what the state of Michigan has in terms of lake herring diversity. Now let's take it a step back for our audience to understand how do you actually extract DNA from these fin clippings? Do you blend it or is there some sort of procedure that you're using? These fin clips run through a what is called a Kyogen DNA kit. Kyogen is the company that makes these DNA extraction kits. But really we take a small piece of these fin clips and we run them through different buffers or different liquids used scientifically to separate out all the different parts of cells, of tissues, to really break down everything to get to that DNA level. So it runs through a lot of different buffers, a lot of different filters, and it finally gets us down to a liquid that just has DNA in it that we can then use for the analyses. Yeah, I'm familiar with those kits. We use those also in my lab for bacterial DNA extraction. So after you have these DNA extracts, what do you do with it afterwards? These DNA are then run through a process called PCR, or polymerase chain reaction, where we look for different loci, which are locations on the DNA that we know from previous research are polymorphic or have different genotypes or different identities across different individual fish. For some fish, the DNA is the same in the same locations for every fish because it codes for something that is important in every fish. However, these specific locations that we look at are different between individuals and really show diversity. So PCR takes these individual regions, we can prime them to be replicated over and over and over and over and over again so that we can take a look at specifically that region and what the genotype is for that region to see across individuals if their genotypes are different, if they're heterozygous and have two alleles for that genotype, or if they're homozygous and only have one. So we have run 13 different locations on these fish. All these different locations go into calculating that genetic diversity. 
as part of a genetic identity or uh, location of DNA, as I mentioned before, alleles are different parts of a gene code for different proteins throughout the body or throughout the fish in this example. So each at each location, there are two alleles. The alleles individually determine how these proteins are coded. So heterozygotes are individuals that have two different alleles for the same location, and they can combine to create a unique protein, or in most cases, one allele dominates the other and is called dominant, and therefore what is coded as what you see on the animal or on the fish is due to the coding on that allele. Homozygotes have the exact same allele twice, so the only protein that they can code is the one on that allele. I remember learning a little bit about this whenever I was taking high school biology back in the day. And as I understood, these genotypes can then convert into what are known as phenotypes, or the physical attributes that are associated with each genotype. When it comes to the lake herring, what particular physical attributes are you looking for when it comes to understanding the diversity of these different fish? So a lot of what physical properties come of the genotypes at these locations that we're looking at are very internal. They're not anything that can really be seen on the fish for the most part and are not really things that are all that important for survival of the fish but are truly different among each individual. And that's really what we look for to do these genetic diversity studies because we don't want to have a location where everybody's coded for the same thing. So we really want to take a look at genes that are known to be different in each individual to show how much diversity is truly in the population. Whenever the DNR is gathering these clippings for you, are they doing it at a certain season? Because I would imagine that certain genes are expressed in the summer versus in the winter. A lot of these collections happen through the spring and summer months. They put out what is called gill nets, which are these long nets that are placed in the water and trap the fish so that we can pull up the nets and then get a fin from them. And these nets obviously can't be put in water that has ice frozen over it or things like that. So a lot of these collections happen in spring and summer, but these genes are ones that usually don't change by season. We try to take a look at genes that are constant and are also diverse. So there's a lot of research backing these exact locations. Since there are millions of locations on a DNA strand that we can look at, we really narrow down the ones that are constant, that are different between individuals, and that we can use to measure diversity accurately. I'm familiar with how large these very famous fish in Michigan known as Lake Sturgeon can be, but how does that compare to the size of the Lake Herring? Compared to Lake Sturgeon, Lake Herring are very small. These fish can get between 8 and 10 inches, so definitely not as big as sturgeon that can get feet on feet long. So these Lake Herring are small, they are silver, they're these sleek looking fish, almost minnows, but just larger at eight to 10 inches. And they really serve that purpose in the environment in lakes in Michigan to be a prey species, really, for recreationally important fish like salmon, for example, in the Great Lakes. And they also are great indicators of ecosystem health since they are very intolerant to warming and poor quality water. So as much as they are small, they serve a very large purpose in the environment in the Great Lakes as well as lakes throughout Michigan. Since lake herring are prey species, 
are they, for example, endangered or are they maybe about to be endangered because there are so many different factors that can bring down their population? That's one of the big factors in this research is that lake herring serve a lot of important purposes, like I said, that are important to humans. Like salmon fishing is a big recreational sport, especially in the Great Lakes, and herring are required for that. It's the salmon eat those. There's also a commercial use for salmon. That is, there's a big human fishing market for herring as well. And for those reasons, lake herring have taken a decline in their population along with global warming as they thrive in cold water and global warming is not helping that at all, as well as poor quality water, the increase in pollution and increase in chemical runoff that comes from factories around lakes. So there's a lot of factors that are leading to the herring being endangered. They're classified as a state threatened species in the state of Michigan. And that's what this research is all about, is this is one piece of the puzzle to a Michigan Wildlife Action Plan that the Michigan Department of Natural Resources is drafting for the federal government to receive funding for an endangered species, in this case, the lake herring. The majority of the focus of this interview has been understanding the diversity of these different lake herring populations. When it comes to the survival of these lake herring, why is it beneficial to have a diverse population? A diverse population is really important for lake herring or really any species because to be able to reproduce and have unique offspring protects species against genetic disease that can be a factor in breeding with very similar genetics. And certain diseases only affect individuals that have certain genetics. So having a diverse pool of genetics really prevents against one thing or one disease or one type of pollution, in this case, taking out an entire population. It really gives a safety blanket to the preservation of these species moving forward. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. So when you introduced yourself, you said that you were a freshman here at Michigan State University. What made you want to do this research, and how do you envision it moving forward in the future? I've always been a big advocate of wildlife conservation. It's always been something that's a passion of mine and something that I want to study moving forward. So being in the molecular ecology lab gave me the opportunity to work with species that are endangered and, and need conservation help from research and labs like us. And in the future, I hope to do more of this work. My passion is with exotic animals as well. So doing not only genetic work, but different population analysis work on species that are endangered all over the world. There's research in the Midwest going on about lions in Africa or tigers in Asia and things like that. So it's a field that can really expand to have a global impact as well as local impact on species like, like herring, for example. I know what you mean. We've had several episodes on this show that have focused on wildlife conservation, whether it's studying hyenas to understanding different bee population practices. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Sci-Files. I really do appreciate you sharing the work that you've done. I'm really excited to hear about any sort of future work that you're able to perform with these lake herring. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on, and I'd be happy to give everybody updates. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org. If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll catch you next week on the Sci-Files, and remember, the truth is in the science.